from WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hey everyone, Reese here. Today, we'll learn how meditation helps Air Copeland keep a calm mind while tackling how to fix a literal ocean of plastic pollution. As most of you listening have probably heard by now, plastic pollution in the ocean is really bad. Like more than 8 million metric tons of trash entering the ocean a year. We talk about this a lot here, and the Five Gyrus Institute has been researching, raising awareness about, and advocating for policy about it for 10 years. They're legends, like they're just a legendary group within the plastic pollution movement. And today we're gonna talk to Air Copeland, who's their new executive director. I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with Air for this conversation. We talk about how he thinks about our future planet as a new expecting father, his background as a producer of a documentary on race in surfing, and how Zen Buddhism influences his approach to environmentalism, helps him keep a calm head. I got a lot out of it, and I hope you do too. Okay, here's Air Copeland. Really happy to be here with you, Air. Likewise. I'm stoked. Uh, we've been trying to schedule this for a little while. Air, do you want to introduce yourself and, and however however you want to introduce yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing for me to say, oh, this is my <laughs> buddy Air, and he does some stuff with five gyres, but yeah. how, do you, how do you identify? Well, um, my full name is Arian Copeland, and uh, I go by Air. Um, just easier in terms of pronunciation and everything else. But I grew up in upstate New York and Cleveland, Ohio, and, you know, son of a physician and, you know, always was drawn to kind of more or less health and wellness and, you know, that kind of life. But I knew I didn't want to be a doctor for sure, because I saw what my dad had to go through and it was crazy and demanding and intense. Uh, but at the same time, I was always drawn to to that space. And then, you know, fast forward maybe to like 1998, I was watching, I think, a Chicago Bulls game and they were mentioning Phil Jackson. This was when in the Jordan era and they were saying Phil Jackson was like this Zen master. And I remember I was working in like a coffee shop or something and I asked my, my coworker, I was like, what is this Zen thing? And <laughs> and I got completely, uh, he, I think he said something like it's a state of being or something like that. Uh -huh. And I just was like, oh my God, I need to be in that state of being right you know <laughs> and I kind of went with that and it was really fun um just spontaneously got into yoga and meditation and practiced zen for about six years and like zen buddhism zen buddhism dude yeah that's in Chicago. why you're so chill <laughs> well I don't know I mean I that this was a long time this is like back in 1998 so so there's been a lot of ruffling of feathers in my life since then <laughs> but um but it was really an opening for me to kind of understand kind of another way of seeing the world and thinking and that kind of thing. And then I moved to, to Los Angeles and, you know, I actually was studying acupuncture and Chinese medicine, but I knew I didn't want to be a clinician. And then I, I uh, started to consult with a bunch of wellness companies throughout Southern California, ended up at Equinox, helping them kind of scale um, their health bars um, in Southern California. And it was really great. Then, you know, just one day, um, you know, I was I was going out to surf and this trainer comes up to me and he's like, wait, what, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm about to go surf. He's just like, wait, black people don't surf. No. Yes, it happened. And then. Real, what year was this? This was in 2004, right? <sighs> but this was the best thing in my, this is like an incredible okay. thing because, right, right. I, you know, we had about a four hour conversation after this that. stranger. Stranger. I mean, he. I seen him before. He was a trainer in Equinox, uh -huh. and he w was just curious about like I've never seen a, a person of color surfing, you know. So, so you think he was coming from a more genuine space? Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred okay. percent. You'll, you know, we after the four during the four hour conversation, we had like about we talked about race and in general, and then 
race and ocean culture. And it just was kind of this organic thing. And at the end, he was just like, you know, I want to make a documentary about this. And because he was an aspiring documentarian, he got his uh, degree in peace and justice studies in, at Fordham University. His name okay. was Ted Woods. And he's like, the only way I'll do this documentary is if you are my producer. So I said- Had you produced anything? Uh, no. In fact, what happened was that evening I went home and I Googled, I was like, what does a producer do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can't even remember what, what came up. And I'm not even sure I know what a producer does now, but <laughs> they produce things. <laughs> they produce things, right? I've had the same question for my parents and stuff. Like, yeah, because exactly. I worked in LA for a while in production, and I remember them being like, "I was like, well, this person's a producer. What does a producer do? I'm what like, does it really do? Yeah, exactly. They, they produce things. They make things happen. <laughs> exactly. Next question. Right. Totally. But there was just something about the guy that I just res- that just resonated with me, and I, I said, you know, let's let's do this. And then we we started to produce Whitewash, and that was the beginning of my filmmaking space, and. But I was still kind of, you know, working because, you know, I had to, you know, we had to make a living while we were making this film. And, and I was trying to, I was working in a lot of health systems, mm-hmm. cottage health system in Santa Barbara, introducing wellness uh, programs into that space. And then I integrated Dr. Dean Ornish's program for reversing heart disease at UCLA Health um, and made that scale to um, a lot of other locations throughout the country. And it was an incredible experience through and through. And... Yeah, and whitewash when that, when that came out, um, we and we can talk more about the specifics of, of, of that film. But when it came out, it it was really just revolutionary. No one's ever seen um, a film about black surfers before, and it was kind of cool uh, how that all came to be. So I kind of have this renaissance kind of background, and you know, and then and then from there you you've been you were working in animals, and now you're working in marine plastic. Pollution, yeah, 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 right? yeah. Well, what what happened was well, two two recent events happened that kind of steered me to, towards where I'm at right now. One is I'm going to be a dad, you know, in about a month and a half. So. Um, what are you even doing here? <laughs> Tell Should me you be I busy did. prepping, freaking out? Dude, I, I got to do kids, all. So I have no I, idea. I have to do all I can now because I know oh, later right. I have no life. You know, it just completely dissipates. Uh, dissipates when it when it comes to you know doing what you want to do. It's all about, <laughs> about family. But um, so what, uh, my first thought when we found out that we were expecting was, what kind of environment am I bringing this kid into? And, you know, I've always been an environmentalist since I was like maybe 15 years old. And, you know, with all the things going on with climate change and, you know, all the the craziness uh, with policy throughout the the world, you know, I said, I have to do something about this. The other event that happened was maybe about three years ago. um, And this is a memory that just kept sticking with me. I was surfing right out here in Bay Street, which you probably shouldn't surf in Bay Street, to be honest. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> not not after the rain. Not after the rains, right. Yeah, exactly. But I was paddling out, beautiful little wave was coming in and, you know, I caught the wave and was really like jazzed to like have a great sesh, you know, and, and, and on my way to paddle back out to the lineup, there were like four plastic bottles that were kind of crumbled up and, you know, used. And, and I had a moment, I was just like, Jesus Christ, like, what is this, you know? And it really, it really just kind of woke me up. Like, this is, this is a problem. I mean, this is in our backyard and, you know, we have plastic bottles, you know, floating in the ocean. And so I married those two things, you know, of, you know, having a, you know, new life come into the world and, and that memory, that experience. And then was looking for my next, you know, kind of career uh, opportunity and, and Five Gyres showed up 
and it was incredible. Anna and I just like, yeah, immediately. So, and it comes so, as the co-founder. Yeah. So real quick, yeah. what is the Five Gyres Institute? So the Five Gyres Institute is a nonprofit organization, really just focused on stopping plastic pollution. Our mission is to empower action against the global health crisis of plastic pollution through science, education, and adventure. So we do, you know, a lot of different scientific research on everything from microplastics to um, we have a ban list, you know, better alternatives now, which um, essentially kind of is a list of top twenty products that that you know are causing harm to the environment. Five Gyres Institute is incredible. I mean, um, that's how I know you. Uh, mm-hmm. Five Gyres Institute is a WSL Pure partner. And, you know, I personally have sailed with Marcus and Anna. My wife and I sailed from Bermuda to New York mm-hmm. on the Sea Change Expedition in 2015. So amazing. We're ambassadors, we're believers, we understand the <laughs> upstream policy solutions. Um, so yeah. I really get it, but I'd love for our listeners to understand a little bit more about it because one of the things that I love about Five Gyres Institute is uh, all of these people that they've enabled and empowered to go out and be real advocates for mm-hmm. that change. You right. know, I think of, you know, myself, my wife, but also, you know, David Stover over at Borea right. and Tim from Take Three for the Sea mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all these different advocates who are now out kind of in diaspora and pushing the message further and further and further, right? right so exactly. It's like incredible alumni, basically, mm-hmm. right? With yeah, these annual 100%. expeditions. So maybe can you speak about the expeditions a little bit and, and, and that as part of the Five Gyres programming? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've done at least 20, I think it's maybe 22 expeditions yeah. over the years, which is pretty um, incredible. I mean, just this last summer, I think we went to Galapagos Island, um, this was prior to me being the yeah, executive I director. Say, so I've only been like, on, why I've, is he saying I think? I know. I've, I've <laughs> you only, just started. You're... I've, I've only been on board two and a half months. So yeah. yeah. Uh, but And you're preparing for a baby. And I'm preparing for a baby amongst other things in life. But yeah, yeah but they, they've uh, we've done so many expeditions throughout the history of the organization. The organization has been around for about 10 years now. And what's really amazing about the expeditions is not so much just going out to the ocean, even though that's a profound experience in itself, but it's the people that are also joining the experience. I mean, we've had everyone from CEOs to corporate, you know, executives. We've had down to like students, students, yeah, yeah. You know, high school kids, high school. Everybody has, you know, um, in every demographic has been on one or another expedition with Five Gyres, and I think for most people. You know, they're, they're put in the middle of the ocean. And I think there is a, a wake up that happens, a sense of insight about one, how beautiful the ocean is as a whole. And it really puts in perspective that we are a blue planet. You know, if you, you are an astronaut and you go up to space and you look back down, you, you're going to see blue. And so I think it really puts that in perspective. And out of that, I think you're, you, you kind of have this sense of love and compassion for all that the ocean encompasses all of the sea life, you know, all of the the plant life in the ocean, everything as a, as a whole. And when you see the natural cycles of the ocean be interrupted by by plastic, uh, large and small, you know, because you know some of the the biggest things are like fishing equipment, fishing nets, and buoys and things like that. But all the way down to microplastics, which are you know, smaller than five millimeters, you know, you, you notice that there is this huge, as, as Marcus would say, a plastic smog right. that's happening in this beautiful blue ocean. And when you get to have that direct experience, I think it automatically sparks something in you to, to um, have a call to action like this is unacceptable. But then what happens is, is you know, and this is what happened on, on Marcus's first 
you know, expedition is that you, you really can't tie the microplastics to a specific brand or a specific company, you know, because it's so small and, you know, it loses its, its you know, um, flotation and it, you know, becomes really dense and floats to the bottom of the ocean. You can't really, and it's tampered with by fish and right. stick it uh, for food, obviously ultraviolet light and sun, you know, it's, it, it, it really breaks down. And I think, you know, one of the things that was really special about um, the research that Marcus and, and, and Anna and, and Five Gyres have done over the years is like created a, a space where we can now tie certain, you know, plastics to brands. We have a web-based app called Trash Blitz that, you know, because we decided we needed to move more upstream because right. we knew that that is the root of where all this plastic is coming from. But Trash Blitz is a, is a web-based app that allows us to collect that data more upstream and tie it to specific brands and companies and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're enabling people to be a part of the process. So Correct. Kind of citizen science a little bit, enabling people to say, hey, I saw this brand and you're tagging it. And you're able to say, we're seeing a lot of this brand show up in this place, et cetera. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you can and then you can address it directly with either, you know, policy change or, or corporate engagement, just really, you know, highlighting kind of the problem. And now everyone knows what's going on. I mean, for the most part, you know, they know that there's, there's a, a major problem. But, you know, it takes action to, to yeah. make change and, and make things go in a better direction. Yeah. It's funny that you say everyone knows now, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Because this problem actually is pretty old. Um, I actually, I read Marcus's book. So Marcus is one mm-hmm. of the co-founders of Five Gyres and he, you know, drifted out to Hawaii on a raft made of 15,000 15, bottles, yeah. <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I read his book and, and he talks about how not only has he and Anna been on this for, you know, 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. You have Charles Moore and Al Galita who were on it before that. And Correct. You, know, you have scientists who are working on this in the Northeast and, and tracking plastic pollution in the Atlantic in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And got pushed back from you know, the big industry to say, hey, you, know, you, you well, don't they, do this research, they, et cetera. Yeah, well, they, they've known about, about plastics being a problem even at its inception back in the 1950s. They knew that this right. could, you know, that it really wouldn't go away and that, that you know, it, it you know, it's going to be a problem, but industry chose profit over people. And it wasn't, well, I mean, also to the culture back then was a lot different because we, you know, had a lot more, it was a culture more of reusing things. You know, we would have glass bottles of milk the, and then the, we would the, turn the milkman model, the milkman model. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, for for and, our younger listeners, yeah. the milkman, <laughs> the milkman, right? Was this exactly. stranger who showed up at your house with milk. Uh, with milk glass. Yeah. I can't say that I ever had that experience as a kid. Me neither. Um, but it was funny. I was talking to my parents maybe like a month ago and, you know, just trying to talk to them about the problem. They're like, you guys are, are so behind. We've been doing this our whole <laughs> life. Like, you know, so it's kind of in this interesting way, you know, going back to, to a reduce and, and reuse culture um as a solution as a solution yeah because we've 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 evolved to a throwaway culture because you know with back you know in the 50s and you know it it was this you know plastic was so exciting because you can it was durable and it had many different things that that you could do with it and and, and you didn't have to do dishes. You'd have to do dishes, right? Yeah, that I mean, was the that, famous that was the thing. Time in magazine, Life, Life like, magazine. Yeah, yeah. Know, it's like yeah. Susie Homemaker. No more doing <laughs> no more dishes. dishes just right. Throw it all away. You get yeah. your time back. Yeah, exactly. And it gave a sense of convenience for the family, which kept going on and on and on and on and on. Um, and you know, in the in the um, you know 1990s, you know, when when the tech stuff started to happen and globalization started to happen production scaled like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And it's been on that track 
ever since. Totally. Now, so then within that, we, we now have this trend. And as you said, it seems like everyone knows about the issue. And, and I will say, you know, um, I, I won't claim to be on it sooner than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last five years, like since I, since my eyes were open, yeah, certainly, it does feel like more and more people just are seeing it. Right. You know? And it's so funny. And, and, and I, I want to ask, like, is it the straw? Did, did, like, is, <laughs> well, was it the straw? No, was it me, the fight for the straw? For me, that, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, and, and Christine and Christine Figener, who who um, was the research scientist on on you know that boat with the turtle, and uh-huh. you know the the straw was in the, the turtle's the nose. Video, the famous video, the straw right? On the turtle's nose, which I think yeah. got like what thirty million views or something Crazy. like that, which is insane. I've just been lucky to have the opportunity to meet her, and it was really interesting to hear her perspective on on that whole experience, and it was just such a big shock, you know. Right. But that it's a, it's amazing that a simple video like that can spark an entire movement of awareness of the problem. And to me, that was kind of the beginning of the progress that we've been making over the years. It made the problem visible. And it I think did. in the environmental movement, that's one of the challenges with the climate yeah, crisis right. is that it's like, well, I can't really see it. The reality is you definitely can, you see, can it. see it. If your right? eyes are open, you're like, right. you see the erosion, you see sea level rise, you see the storms, totally. you, to, you see the heat waves. That's right. all connected in there. But right. some people, their eyes aren't quite open to that yet. But no. with plastic, it's like, I can see this and I know that it's dirty and bad and I don't want it on my beach or I right. don't want it in my surf. Well, the thing, exactly. And the, the thing about that video in particular is that that it it kind of spoke to every demographic. I mean, because a kid would see the turtle and connect to it and like, oh, that's horrible. The animal rights people would see the turtle and be like, there you go. You see, this is what we're talking about. And then the environmentalists, same thing. So it spoke to every group, every demographic, and there was a story there. And then everyone was just like, okay, no more plastic straws, you know, but then, which is important, you know, because that led to beach cleanups and that led to looking at the root of the problem and moving more upstream and that led to you know innovation coming up with new type of you know products that could work in replacement of a plastic so so it's always a good thing stories dude you so stories you stories are the key you answered my question that i didn't even get to ask yet but it was about you know some people like to criticize why are we talking about straws they're only 0.03 percent of all the plastic mm-hmm. in the ocean anyway right you know, we need to focus on the bigger things but it, like you said it's the top of the funnel it right. engages people who maybe wouldn't have otherwise engaged. Totally. And now all of a sudden they're going, oh, and that fork and that plastic knife and that bag and that thing. And now before you know it, they're going, oh, I want to go plastic free to the Absolutely. point where, you know, like my hometown is trying to, you know, ban single use plastic water bottles and right. stuff like that. You know, it's like, it's, it's going down that funnel. So it's, right. it's not that, you know, in my opinion, uh, are straws the biggest problem or threat to the ocean? Of course no. not. Yeah. You know, right. But it is a good thing that we're working on it and that that creates a dialogue. Right. For sure. Totally. A hundred percent. And I think the other thing that opened up after that video and after more and more people got involved with, with the movement is it highlighted, highlighted where the concentration of the problem is, which is in, in the East, in Asia. And Wait, hang on. <laughs> I'm not going to let you say that the problem is in the East and Asia without, well, well, without some explainer on that. Right. One. Well, for, well, for, for our, you know, cause I don't know who's listening, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know either. who's out there and me whether either. they know anything about this. So, right. you know, but, but the, the, what do you mean when you say that? Well, okay. So when you look at the, the concentration of plastic pollution in terms of the amount of plastic that is being put into the ocean and also in the soil, by the way, you look at places like India you look at places like Indonesia, Vietnam, you know, there, there is such a high concentration 
of plastic, single-use plastics, sachets, which is probably number one on the list. And sachets are like little pouches. Little so it's packet, like single-use yeah. shampoos right. and things like that, where in the, the theory is that these communities couldn't afford larger bulk say, items. Right. So they bought, bought the smaller or, or the, the brands right. created that for them to use the smaller single smaller use products. right exactly and those a lot of those communities a lot of those those areas don't have the infrastructure to manage you know plastics on any scale um, and, and so there was you also mean, you mean recycling systems you, recycling system here waste we management have curbside pickup and right, all that recycling system waste management all of that and you know everyone is just trying to trying to survive and manage their life and they've especially since i know you know we may talk about this but like the China ban in 2018. Oh, we're gonna get there. Yeah, that that <laughs> you was didn't, a, you didn't mention them as one of the countries. Right, right. But obviously, but, right. All of all of our. I mean, essentially, all of the trash was shipped to China, and from the United States in particular was a big, big shipper of trash to China. And go ahead. And not just trash, though, right? Recycling, as recycling well, as right? well. I mean, right. We, yeah, the, right. We think that we do our job by recycling here oh, yeah. in the U.S. You're right. like, cool. I, I threw it in the blue bin, did my job, <laughs> yeah, right? Check you later. But the exactly. reality is, we sort stuff and Correct. then we send it on empty shipping containers, right? So China sends all of our goods over here, right? We then sort all of our recycling, put it on a shipping container, send it, send back, it back to and China, we say, right? Make this into more stuff. Absolutely, and continually do that and do that. And you know, remember when we were referencing earlier that scale from the '90s up? You know, that production that happened in in China was just insane. You know, and so it got to a point. Long story short, that in 2018, China said, "Nope, no more. We can't. We can't take it." You National know? sword. National. Right. Giant sword. Great yes. code name for a <laughs> national program of like we're just cutting ties. Like, right. Or pa. Yeah. Done. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so China exactly. called it national sword. National said, sword ban. Yeah. We're not taking. They're your not taking it anymore. So what and, did that do? I mean that that basically you know all of the the shipping of recyclables and everything that we were shipping there that stuff went to other places like other countries. I right. mean Japan. Well, Japan, the UK, Germany, and the United States are 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 the biggest countries that that kind of ship everything over to China, and then then they started to ship it in smaller communities like Indonesia and stuff. And like I was saying earlier, they don't have the infrastructure, so you can see what that does to community. You can see what that does to the people over there, the marine life over there. Yeah, you end you know. up getting these informal. So here we have the MRFs, right? Municipal recycling facility, something like that. Yeah, municipal. No, I think the R is different. Marcus is going to kill us. I, he will, because um, I don't know. <laughs> so you, these MRFs, and so in right. Indonesia, you have these uh, informal ones, or in mm-hmm. other other you know developing nations, they're informal, right? And so they're kind of illegal, not following real rules. And if they can't handle that waste, they end up landfilling it, burning it, burning or, it, yes, you know, dumping it in a river, absolutely. And that's how we're seeing this thing. So that's why I, I just had to call you, not call you on it, but I just yeah. want to ca- caveat for our listeners that. Right. It's not. When it's we not, talk about the problem a, being in Asia, Asia right? Right. Exactly. It's all of our problems. It's all. Of, well, that's the thing. Is is like when you think about plastic pollution as a whole, it's not even just in the oceans. It's in the air. It's in our clothes. It's you know. So, slow it, Slow down. <laughs> right. In the air. Right. It's in the air, yeah. man. I now, mean, I caught it's that crazy. article, but give. For anyone who's freaking out right now, right. covering their mouth with their shirt. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> Explain yeah. that. Well, there's plastics in, in, in themselves, you know. Let's just say, for example, I'll put it this way with, we'll start with clothes. Okay, so, you know, plastic fibers or whatever are made, you know, into 
all kinds of different fleece. Clo- fleece and yeah. all kinds of clothing wear and things like that. And then you put that in your your washing machine and all of that, those fibers kind of filter themselves out and it, you know, gets into the air and into the walls and that and you're actually then you start breathing it. I mean, you obviously can't see this stuff, but but it is actually happening. And then also too, when it comes to you know, ninety nine percent of plastic comes from from fossil fuels. Which is contributing to climate what are change. Those? <laughs> that are you are know those bad, right? <laughs> exactly, and but that's contributing to to obviously the the whole climate change global warming deal, and and so yeah, it spreads. It's in every capacity. I mean, it starts from you know extraction into manufacturing, and then it goes to the consumer, and then the consumer throws it out into waste, and then it goes in, you know, either burns or is chemically broke down. And so that process is very systematic. And the other thing is, is most consumers aren't aware of that. They don't really know where plastics come from. They just go to Target or, you know, any store and pick up whatever they need, because that's what you do. But it's hidden, you know, and it just, it reminds me a lot, you know, just coming again, from the animal world, like people really don't know what's going on with animals and facilities and slaughterhouses and that kind of thing. I mean, you you know, you may see footage here and there, but they don't know that process and how detrimental it is. So, so it's, and you know, all of this, all the collective is contributing to a worst environment. Yeah. I shouldn't, I feel, I want to correct myself and not necessarily that fossil fuels are inherently bad. You know, they're, they exist. It's yeah. how we use them. It's right, exactly. And produce some but, other things because we wouldn't be here and having this conversation over, without fossil you know, f- right computers and things and da, but, da, da, da. but but yeah, and that's the same thing to be honest with with plastic in itself as a material. It's not the the material in itself is a pretty phenomenal piece of material. Right. I mean, that's what is attractive about it for many you know corporations and companies is that it's durable, it's flexible, it has all these different properties from PVC to you know PET all the way down. But it shouldn't be in our environment is right. the problem. How we ma- how we manage it, <laughs> how, and how we, we apply it. it, and how we uh, use it, how we you know do we need potatoes wrapped individually, in, right? You know, cellophane or exactly plastic, you know, like probs not you totally, know? <laughs> totally, yeah, absolutely. I don't need my apple wrapped, but th- I mean, I get that there's an argument for freshness and what that does for. Of course. I get all these things, but we need to be pushing for better and better solutions. We do. We need to be put. And the other thing that that I think people need to be aware of with with um, you know the process of, of producing plastics is that you know a lot of these petrochem facilities are right near lower income communities. And I, I've read many statistics that say that those communities, in terms of cancer rates and various other diseases, skyrockets like almost I think forty percent higher than the average person in that in that particular city or, or, or country. And that is a problem, you know? And because there's the, the build-out of these petrochemical facilities are, are growing like you wouldn't believe. I think there's supposed to be an increase of like 40% by 2025 of these facilities from Houston, Texas, all the way through the Ohio Valley. Like, slow down. You're yes. saying so we got... Petrochemical facilities, which are mm-hmm. refineries and whatnot, producing Correct. plastics, et cetera. Right. And we're going to see a 40% increase. That's what the, that's the latest statistics. In the next five years? In the next five years. Somehow I thought it was further out. But yeah. That's I mean, I think, there, I think there was a, I can't remember 100% the number, but I think ExxonMobil was going to put out about like $20 billion in building out facilities just in, in Houston alone. So it, yeah, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the challenge is, is yeah. as far as we're moving... Progressing, you know, 
highlighting the picture, there's a long way to go. For and, sure. And you know the big statistics, like by 2050, more plastic in the ocean than fish by, I wasn't by gonna, volume. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like want to scare people, people right? know yeah, that I don't want to scare people, but, but, but yeah. yeah. But but it's an urgent issue. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I'm a lot more positive about solving this problem than I was a few years ago, for sure. And I know Marcus. That's super and interesting. Anna, yeah. Why? Because uh, the movement is growing dramatically yeah. on a global scale. We've also seen pivotal policies that, that have been put in place. I mean, I think even in India in October of this year, they're planning on banning a, a good portion of single-use plastics by 2023. That's huge. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think Japan is like maybe by 2030 or something that there's, that's been talked about. You know, and there's obviously policies here in the United States. You know, we have SB 54 and AB I think 15-something. I can't remember the... 1080? 1080. I thought it was 1080. Was it 1080? Yeah, SB54 and AB 1080. I lose track of no, the bill I, numbers. I know. I'm the uh, worst with That's with why the policy... That's why we have policy people <laughs> who can recall, <laughs> you know, each line by line. I know. Of, I uh, always... That was Senate Bill 54. Bill 54. To, um, <laughs> exactly. I can't keep track of the policy numbers. But yeah, yeah. yes, in California... In California, it's one state, but it's a big economy. It's a big economy. It has a huge influence. Right. That's the other thing. And I think there's something similar in New York and... Um, uh, yeah, so it, it's happening. I mean, Portland or Oregon, I think, is, is working on something. So, again, it, it gives me hope, you know, and I think you have to have that, you know. I mean, I, there's some there's some some people in the in the uh, movement that are just like, we're done. We're fucking doomed, man, you know. <laughs> but 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 I again, I go back to to what even sparked this for me. And, you know, I got a I got a kid on the on the way and I, I got to do all I can to to give him love and hope and, and safety um, in this world. That's awesome. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about Five Gyres. Uh, so you mentioned a couple of things in there. You mentioned the ban list. Yeah. What is the ban list for those who, who don't know it? Uh, it's a scientific process. Uh, better alternatives now. Better alternatives now. Right. We've done ban, uh, ban list uh, 1.0 and then a ban list 2.0. Um, and then we're working on a ban list 3.0. And it basically lists the top 20 products that we see most in in our environment as far as things that we need to change. So kind of like an audit of what's Basically out there. Basically, it, it is an audit. And so what are the top five? I would say, well, number one is foodware, um, food waste, which I think everyone, that I mean, we see that on right. dramatic scales. So um, your plastic forks, your plastic, plastic knives. Five, yeah, exactly. And straws, are they included in that? Or is that straws, beverageware? I think that's... <laughs> is beverageware a category? I, I, I kind of like that, though. It's gotta, <laughs> you got to make that up. Uh, I'm not sure if that's part of foodware or not. I can't remember off the top of my head, but bottle caps, right. cigarette butts is up there as well. Um, we see those in, in abundance. People don't realize that cigarette butts are plastic. Right, exactly. Filter, yeah, like, the filter. Yeah, exactly. It's, cigarette it's crazy. Cigarette smokers just flick them, and it's like, no, that's like that's plastic. That's, that's plastic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and then there's a there's a few others, but but you can go on our our website fivegyres.com and and there's a list of all of the, the twenty. I'm oh, sorry, dot org. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I, I keep five, thinking five yeah. gyres. Actually, wait, let's pause. Yeah, what's a gyre? Oh, a gyre. Yes, that's that. Because I actually, you know, when I first heard uh, five gyres, I was just like, I always I automatically went to five guys. <laughs> <laughs> right? Honestly, it's it just like the name is great. It is and a great it makes name. sense it makes if you sense. know what's up, right? 
But in here, I've definitely struggled. People are like, what, five gyres? I'm like, no, gyres. <laughs> no. It's kind of a soft We G. get that all like, the time. So we anyway. get that all the time. But Fivegyres.org. Right, five gyres. And explain the gyres. Okay, so a gyre is, is an ocean current system that kind of be, uh, begins uh, on the shoreline level and moves its way out to certain um, areas um, in the middle of the ocean. And it's kind of like a vortex. It kind of pulls in all of the different particles and trash, you know, that we kind of throw into to the ocean. But uh, and there's 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 eleven gyres, but there's um, you got to change that name. Oh, I know, right? Exactly, <laughs> big time. There's there's five main gyres: um, the North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, and South Atlantic, and the Indian, and the Indian Ocean is the are the five. But it's not like this is the misconception of the gyres is that, you know, you can kind of see all of these the plastic floating around in a circle and you're like, totally. oh, wow, I want to go into plastic swimming pool. No, it, it's not like that. The it's, island. The, the island, yeah. The exactly. island of trash. The island of trash. I remember, yeah. you know, when we, we got on the boat in Bermuda and we got underway and we're sailing out. We're now, right. you know, 100 miles offshore or whatever it is. Yeah. We're out in the, and, and I remember on that first day someone saying, I can't wait to see the patch. Like <laughs> yeah, that, they thought the, we were right. going to see a major patch. patch. Right, exactly. And I was surprised. I, I was, I'll, I'll say I was genuinely surprised that somebody had gotten as far as getting on the vessel and going out without having understood that part of it. Because right. I kind of, I had prepared myself for. I know there isn't a big island of it. Right. It's and not I know a, that right. like it's like smog. I like I got that because I had heard that from right. Marcus, and I understood that because you know it like costs money to go on these expeditions. And all that. So I kind of like done my homework. <laughs> and one person like I can't wait to see it all. I'm like, what? I know exactly. <laughs> it's like like you know it's like some kind of tourist attraction or something like that. Yeah, I can't wait to see this great. I mean, I get that from from an interest level, but you know it's it's a horrible. This is yeah. It's, it's a horrible situation, you know. And and we got out there and it was crystal clear blue water and <laughs> couldn't see a thing. But every single trawl and the trawls for for listeners uh they're they're these metal trawls you call it a mantle trawl mm-hmm. you uh, essentially attach it to the vessel and drag it and you're you're essentially skimming maybe a meter of the surface it's of the a ocean. sample collector yeah yeah so you're getting this like tiny sample of the overall ocean surface again the ocean is 71 percent of the entire planet mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of surface area and we're getting this small sample and yeah. then you have this fine mesh that sifts out the little microplastics that are floating at the surface so that's not even addressing all the plastic in the water column 100%. going down to the depths because we've now found it the deepest parts of the ocean oh yeah we've seen it in the arctic and the sea ice i mean it's everywhere but it's everywhere yep. through that five gyres was able to do the estimate of the total microplastic pollution uh which has helped inform a lot of decisions and poly- policy makers and all absolutely that, absolutely huge. and um like i was saying earlier you know it, it you know it was enlightening to to kind of you know bring microplastics into the to the to the picture because i think people just did not think that you know i don't i don't think they even knew that that totally. plastic broke down like that and and you know or that we had in our toothpaste or that we had it in our toothpaste I mean, yeah micro exactly microbeads right you know it, it's you know that that was a big find too because five gyres went to lake erie did some research there and discovered the microbead which is kind of another micro particle of plastic that is in our beauty care products in, intentionally put there intentionally so the companies put, there, right. would put it there it's like a it's a surfactant i think they call Something it right? like that, so yeah. scrubs right right and so it was in face washes and toothpaste, toothpaste and all, stuff. all of that yeah and Ex- five gyre science helped inform policy to say we got to get rid of this we got to get rid of it and so much so that in 2015 you know five gyres along with you know some other ngos you know took it to the white house and president obama banned microbeads which was an incredible policy you Amazing. Know? Yeah, yeah. Huge policy win for, that was a huge for, policy. for the team. Yeah. Super cool. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So going back to whitewash a little bit, but also with your role in the environmental movement, Mm -hmm. because what's cool that's happened, you you had people working in different spheres for years, right? Right. And now we're seeing more and more of it working together. And what Mm -hmm. I love is the environmental justice movement getting more recognition in the overall movement. Whereas I think you've had indigenous peoples maybe speaking up over here, kind of like whatever. Ocean conservation was like this old white person thing. It was (laughs) only once you were like rich enough to care that you had time to and Mm -hmm. and you're kind of seeing, you're seeing that change. A hundred percent. A ton. And it's really awesome. But you know, you now are in a leadership position Mm -hmm. at one of the organizations that's been around for years, leading Mm -hmm. the fight in plastic pollution. And you're a black male, like that's that's a really cool thing. You're now a role model for a whole bunch of people who maybe didn't see a path to being a part of ocean conservation. Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful and fortunate to to again have the opportunity to to lead Five Gyres in in the next direction. You know, I think for many years, and I say this all the time. A lot of the these progressive movements, the environmental movement, the holistic health movement, you know, the spiritual health movement, you know, even the mind body stuff with yoga and meditation and, you know, the animal rights movement, they all worked in silos. They always worked. They were everyone knew what was going on in the other area, but no one was like connecting and working together. And I and I, I think you know, social media has been the key driver to that that shift and change. This is a positive plug for social media. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm not I'm not on social media. Personally. I know. <laughs> I was gonna. I wanted to ask. Yeah, you're yeah. my second guest in a row yeah. who's not on uh, Instagram at the very no. least or on any social media. No, I'm not on, on social media. Okay, so at this all. is the positive thing about social media. Though, yeah, so this is bringing us together. It sh- in theory, that's what what that's how people became aware of other movements and connected to them. Like, right. for example, like you know. You look at like Black Lives Matter and various social justice organizations like that and and how, you know, they're also fighting for the environment. They're also fighting for better health. And I think people were unaware of that for many years and vice versa. So what's missing in all of these movements on every side is more diversity and equity and inclusion. And I think that is a real key element to um, the success because... Diversity is no longer just relevant. It's self-evident, you know, and it, it's going to take a, a variety of different dispositions and cultures to solve these complex problems together. That's what gives it its power. I think when we did whitewash, it was one element that, that we explored is, you know, we, we wanted to look at race objectively, not surfing. Surfing was just the the vehicle that we want, the lens that we wanted to look through, but it was really like, what is this whole thing of race? Because it's not part of our biology. Mm-hmm. It's not part of our DNA, really. It's This is just a concept. And, you know, they just track through the history of this country, per se. But ultimately, you know, when we start to unify and come together as as people, you start, all that stuff transcends, and you realize that we just want to live. We just want access. We just want basic needs, those kind of things, you know. Everybody just wants to be loved and like get home at the end of the day, Dude, you know, like take care of your family, man, you know, and like, 
like have a good time, you know? I mean, we all know life is short. Anything can happen at any time. And, you know, I learned this in, in a lot of, you know, my interest in, in, you know, meditation and yoga is like, you know, everyone just wants to have a sense of peace, a peace of mind, you know? And it takes coming together as a, as a, a global community, you know, to, to make that happen, you know? Yeah, man, that's really beautifully and well said. I'm, <laughs> I'm very glad you're at the helm over at Five Gyres. You've got a, a Zen approach to it, whereas you know, my my fiery temper might just be upset about things all the time. I, well, that happens. I, I'm interrupted. I mean, oh. I, I I have my moments for sure, <laughs> but but I try to try to stay on the board. Well, you know? I mean, listen, yeah. you know, there's there's a place for um you know for for anger in fueling mm-hmm. a, a discussion. Going, hey, this upsets me. Now, how do I use that? Well, to Form. It's interesting you say that because um, someone recently told me this, but someone uh, said that they went to see a talk with the, the Dalai Lama, right? And there was this woman who was extremely upset, angry, frustrated with her life. You know, she wasn't happy in her relationship. She wasn't happy with her family. She wasn't happy with anything. She was just anger. She asked the Dalai Lama, she said, you know, how do I get rid of this anger that's destroying my life? And the Dalai Lama said, he had one question for her, and he's like, have you been angry long enough? You know, and I think that kind of sums it up. Like, you know, how long do you want to hold on right. to that? Right. You know, when there's peace right there. That's, ooh, that's, that's a good one. I'm going to have to use that on myself now. For me, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, generally, I, I, I get upset about something. I see, I read an article, I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, all right, back to it. You know, like it's it's really quick. Right, yeah, yeah, you yeah. yeah. Like, I kind of like come back to neutral pretty quick. But in the moment, I'm like, what? Yeah. That, well, you, are you into meditation and that kind of thing? Or have you ever tried that kind of thing? You're thinking of my sister, uh, who is a <laughs> mindfulness master. We look very much alike and people think we're twins. But no, she is no. mindful and patient. And yeah. I am, uh, I lived in New York for 10 years. Oh, and yeah, so man. as a result... <laughs> Uh, I'm impatient. Um, no, listen, I, I do meditate once in a while. Okay. Um, I, I'll go in and out of spurts where I'll like be good, like every morning, 10 mm. minutes, you know, kind of going, 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 and yeah. then go on a work trip and it just goes out the window. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, just be, but here's the thing. I've said this to my sister. I've been like, man, I just suck at meditation. And she's like, <laughs> there is no sucking at meditation. Right. It's the fact that you're doing it. Like, yes, it's okay to have thoughts. It's totally. the point that you're taking that time to sit down and da, da, da. And I mean, that's what I then tell myself about my surfing is that it's okay that I suck at surfing. <laughs> It's the fact that I'm out there, <laughs> right? No, that, I mean, it's very true, though. I mean, you got you're right on it, hundred percent. Yeah, keep no, getting out just there, just keep getting out there. Yeah, it doesn't even matter, dude. It's more just just sitting in the actually in itself is is a meditation, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and and you look at people like Jerry Lopez and and you know Rob Machado. I mean, those guys are like super fucking zen, man. They're totally. they're incredible surfers. More so, um, not in terms of them just catching waves, but just their state of mind. Hundred percent, it's insane. Do you have a Zen tip for anybody? Do you, mm. Is there a tip that, you, as like a Zen Buddhist master, I don't know how many other, <laughs> I don't know how, how many other, you know, Zen Buddhists I'm going to have on the show. So <laughs> while you're here, if you have a tip for everybody, how do you? Okay, here's the, here. I'll tee it up with a more specific question. Okay, yeah. How do you? How does Zen Buddhism help your uh, work in the environmental movement? Mm, that's a great question, actually, and I think this is the key to what every individual can do. What any not only Zen, but any meditation practice, even just mindfulness in itself, doing the dishes, just being aware that you're doing the dishes, it all comes down to observation, to just being aware of what's happening as it is, just as it is. But what happens is, is the mind wants to 
change the dynamic. It wants to alter the situation. It's just like, this is not, I, I'm thinking about my kids or I'm thinking about my work. Or, and it's, that's the nature of the mind. It's not like we're trying to stop that from happening. But what you realize is that, you know, when you're, when you're just observing that activity and not getting caught up, that it goes away. It's an impermanent state. And then you're like, oh, this is all like a film. And then you just learn how to watch the film and then it gets softer and softer where then you're like right where you're where you are. You know, you're just present. And so in the environmental movement, I think if people start to just observe, just see more clearly, I'll give you an example. Before I was really into you know, the plastic pollution deal. I used to go into a grocery store, I'd buy normal stuff. I'd get my little, you know, paper bags and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I saw food. I was like, I want that peach. I want that, you know, cauliflower, whatever it is. But now when I walk into a grocery store, I see plastic. And which is kind of interesting because it's a transparent, most of it is transparent. You can, you know, it's sure. like but it's like, I see plastic. So you're not only buying the product, you're also buying plastic. So I have... For me, I've learned a new awareness of how to see. And so if you can take some time every day just to kind of be aware of like in the morning, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you can do, to be aware of your, your state, what you're thinking about, your breathing, keep your mind on your breath and just observe it as it is without tampering it. That disciplines and trains your mind to see in a different way. And that carries with you throughout the day in all of your engagement and you're more aware. And I, I think a lot of the surfing world, and what I love about surfers is that the ocean kind of demands that of you because if you're not present, you're done. Totally. Right? Totally. It's like the best Zen master is the ocean itself. <laughs> so, you know, when people do ask me about it, they're like, oh, your sister meditates and she's this mindful guru and she's written books and da 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 and all stuff. I'm like, yeah. what about you? I'm like, yeah. But for me, surfing always has been kind of a thing. Now, listen, there are different surf sessions, right? There, <laughs> there's that surf session where you're out of breakwater with a hundred of your closest friends in right. a very tight area, and you're not yeah. exactly in your most mindful state. Totally. But if you can find that little little pocket by yourself and you're mm -hmm. staring out the horizon, right. you know, I do find that that's when my mind clears the most. A hundred percent. The most kind of. You're aware of thoughts coming through, but I'm also just kind of clearly just going like, where is that next wave? Like, I'm here, I'm here, right. you know, and like, that's when I'm in the zone and that's where I feel really, you know, clean totally. fear. I've also gotten it from running. Um, mm. I've, I've done a bunch of distance running. And mm. for me, once you start to get into those runs where you get above five miles and you get, you know, 10 runners miles, high and yeah, all that, you yeah. start getting this place where your mind, the thoughts are wandering, but you're mm. just kind of in the zone. Yeah. And, and that's always felt super meditative for me. And I come away from that being like, man, I'm... <laughs> so grateful for this ability to run I, and uh, i'll call my sister yeah. and be like I, I feel like a total hippie but you know <laughs> i just wanted to say i'm grateful for you because i ran 10 miles and i thought i don't know it was a thought i had right you know, yeah but, totally uh, totally yeah, that's really, uh, that, no, that's a really nice thing. tips though no I mean, it's fun it's fun and it's not there's no like perfection you know it's not trying to get to this you know i think this whole idea of enlightenment is a bunch of bullshit to be honest like i think wait <laughs> i do i think it's a bunch of crap i mean i mean it's just it's just it's a it's you're trying to you're trying to just live as it is you know doing the best you can and just a little bit of insight a little bit of awareness helps you know so i love it man um <laughs> one thing i you know i like to sometimes look back and then look ahead mm -hmm. uh, and I, I ask this one of a lot of our guests yeah. um if you go back in time and change one thing in history, what would it be and why? Um, I would say in the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago, the treatment of animals. Because in my opinion, 
it's the greatest crime in human history, the way that humans treat animals, whether you're... Are this, you vegetarian? Vegan? I'm plant-based. I'm about 90%. You know, okay. um, I think what, what, we've, what we've learned in human history, and I don't know if you've ever read one of my, my heroes, is you've all know a... Harari and he wrote the book Sapiens and Homo Deus. You're like you're like the tenth person. I don't even know if I can talk to you anymore, dude. I mean, without reading that book, that that I mean, what what he has articulated because he's an unbelievable historian and also an incredible mindfulness practitioner. But he speaks in detail about about our treatment of animals and the agricultural revolution, and that has increased so much over the years. And the amount of suffering is like you wouldn't believe. And we, some people are aware of it, and that kind. Of, and I'm not. I'm not. You know, saying, you know, go vegan. I'm not one of those those kind of guys. I I think it's abuse that I have a problem with. It is treatment that I have a problem with. It's not meat. It's the meat industry that I have a problem with. And I would change that. Gotcha. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now looking ahead. What are you most excited about in the future? Like, what's coming up mm-hmm. that you're you're stoked about? Greta Thunberg. I think that seeing the the youth rise up and tackle one of the the biggest crises to our civilization, climate change, and to rally as a global community and have the courage to do this in the midst of all of the digital revolutions and social media and for her to stand up and say no more is everything and that's that's what I'm banking on is is the hope of of our youth and children and courage that's courage. You, you hit that word and that's the one that I I really get excited about all Doc, courage. Dr. Kate Marvel has a really great essay um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not hope, it's courage. It's, mm. it's about how, you know, and I do think we need hope not to say that we don't need hope. <laughs> um, hope is important, but you also have to have that courage to then act on hundred you know, percent in the face of uncertainty. You know, you got, you got to step up and we all have to. And I think these youth leaders have done an incredible job of stepping up in the face of a lot of haters and a lot of doubt and mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's really, really beautiful and incredible. And, um, you know, I love the way. Yeah, I've been lucky to see Greta in person twice now in New York and then in LA. I saw her in LA as well. Yeah. Were you at the? I was there. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, you should have texted me, dude. I don't know what's wrong with you. You don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was rallying people here in the office to go. I was trying to be like the shepherd and oh, like, yeah. come on, we're going on strike from work. And yeah. I was like, really? Can we leave the office? Is this okay? I'm like, let's go. We're out of here. Let's go. Let's go. This is part of your work. And so, um, yeah, she's amazing, man. What I, I mean, and all, all of them were, I mean, all those kids. Chateska, all oh, the kids, geez. the local Latin youth. I mean, oh, really impressive. Incredible. And, and I just think it's so cool, yeah, what, what they're doing and, and how they're leading the whole, the whole thing. Totally. I mean, because they can see. Mm-hmm. They are like, wait, this, you, look at what, you look at what you've done to our, our future. And yeah. so, but yeah, it goes back to, to having the courage. But I mean, I don't know about you, but think about you as a kid. I mean, did you have that? that could you fight? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't think I was like that. I mean, I was I was always kind of an activist, but I I mean, I couldn't I couldn't do that. I like to think I did, but being realistic, nah. No, I like the idea. I mean, I think I think for me, the first rally that I ever did was like the Rodney King thing. I was in Cleveland, Ohio at the time, and I was just like, 
oh man, let's do a school walkout or something like that. But I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just like, I just, <laughs> I just want to be part of the, totally. the, the crew, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, these kids are next level. Yeah. <laughs> what else, uh, future looking, you know, what's next for Five Gyres? You're, you're now mm-hmm. two and a half months in this role. Yeah, man. What's, what's next? You're um, a small team, but small a great team. team. Yeah, we, I, you know, I like to stay small with a big impact. That's kind of my mantra because... Um, there's so many players in, in the movement and, and everyone grown, plays their role. It's grown hugely. dramatically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, we, in 2020, we want to continue with our Trash Blitz activity because that is such a key driver of data and information. But we want to go one step further. We want to also collect stories of those communities that we get that data from, meaning, you know, we, by the way, so we're, we're going to, to Brooklyn next year, Denver, and I think Portland are our three cities that we want to focus on to do trash blitz activity. But it's the stories of the communities. Like we were talking about before, it's all stories and we need to tell those stories better. And the, the combination of stories and data will, to me, have a dramatic impact on policy. So the ultimate goal is to change policy. And there's a lot of single use plastics policies that are in the works are are ready to be pushed forward. And so if we can support and collaborate and cooperate with other NGOs in those regions to make change, I think that would be a real big victory for us as well. And we have about 1,300 ambassadors globally as well that we want to leverage to help, you know, uh, support our, our movement through and through. So we're also going to be growing that that program as well. And there's like an ambassador summit coming. Oh, you heard about right? that. Yeah, I Dude, get the emails. I'm, geez, an amb- I'm technically an alum. I'm an ambassador. <laughs> you are kind you know, of an ambassador. I know, right? <laughs> I got indoctrinated by Marcus and Anna. So, yeah, that's you know. right. You you got all the all the all the backstory. Okay, I, I got you, man. Uh uh yeah, we have an ambassador summit. We're we're I think we're trying to do that in the summer of twenty twenty. And in LA or in LA. Okay. Yeah. We're working, we're trying we have a couple of folks we're talking to to kind of collaborate on to, to kind of put this whole summit together, but we're definitely going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, we need to celebrate, you know, people that are, you know, kind of getting out there for us and helping us uh, shape our mission. And yeah, I'm really excited about, about the future next year. And there's other, there's other stuff we're doing in 2021. I'm working on a strategic plan that's going to lay that out, but I'm not going to tell you now. Okay. <laughs> so, but there's exciting things ahead and I'm really, again, just really fortunate and, and grateful to be on board. Awesome, man. So people can go to five gyres, number five, number five, G-Y-R-E-S dot org. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> to learn more, Trash Blitz is Trash, trash Blitz. B-L-I-T-Z Z dot org. Dot org. Yes. Oh, you have Trash Blitz dot org. You have yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. separate URL. Yeah. And the app is available in the app store as well? Mm-hmm. Well, is, no, it it's not, no, it's not a mobile app yet. It's a web-based app, but web-based you just app. go to that that website and, and then, yeah, you can... You can um, Easy. Yeah, work with it there. But I, I think we'll eventually get to a mobile app too that would be amazing very cool yeah man i would point people to your social media to go <laughs> find you but you're not there dude you have to see me in person you know and that's the way it works you know i gotta i'll have a cup of coffee with you or or whatever or lunch but yeah man i i like i like the freedom and the privacy and the independence i love it man yeah. and you've got a kid on the way which is super cool thank you so brother. um yeah. yeah a lot so super stoked for you thank um, you man a lot yeah. of good stuff going on and thanks for coming on the show 100 percent, man thank you so much i really appreciate it this was so much fun yeah I'm, so I, Cool. Always love hanging. Anything <laughs> else you want to say to, to 
No, no. I mean, I think I love what the WSL is, has been doing and, and all the great work um, over the years. I mean, I've, I've followed you all since you were ASP and beyond, and it's just incredible uh, kind of the positioning you have. And Pure as well is is such a, a powerful arm and, and, you know, with your leadership and what you guys have been doing. I didn't, I, you didn't have to go here. Waves, but I'm just <laughs> saying, you. like, it's really cool <laughs> stuff, you know, and, and uh, again, just you know, having this collective and working together is, is what it's all about. So yeah, I'm grateful to be on the show. It's super cool, man. I mean, I've been very lucky that Five Gyres have been a great partner since the beginning and you and Surfrider and Save the Waves and so Five by Plastic Bags, all you groups out there have been doing mm. so much amazing work. So totally. the more we can help raise that story up, the better. So I'm very right happy on. to have you here and keep us informed with whatever else we can be a part of. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Take care. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to Air for spending time with us. He's super busy as the new executive director at Five Gyres, and they have an exciting new chapter. I'm really excited to see what he does there. They've done incredible work so far, and have just been such a key driver of the movement to eliminate plastic pollution. I'm excited to see where it goes. Go check them out at Five Gyres. That's the number five, G-Y-R-E-S dot org. And we also link to a bunch of relevant content in the show notes here. So do go check that out. If you enjoyed the show, please take a quick second to subscribe, rate, and review it. Your ratings and reviews really help the show get discovered and help us reach more people about the problem of plastic pollution. So if you want your beaches cleaned, you want more people to know about plastic pollution, you want them to find the show so they can learn about how to clean it up and how to be a part of great organizations like Five Gyres. All right, as always, you can find us online at WCLPure and at wslpure.org or email us at oneocean at wslpure.org. All right, see you next time.